Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up Show. Um, I'm Matt DeMarinas, joined as always by, I should say as always, it's our second episode, (laughs) joined as always by former (laughs) All-American Megan Ballinger. Um, So this weekend, uh, the Jays went down to Wichita, Kansas, the old stomping grounds from the Missouri Valley Conference, and uh, swept their way through the Shocker Volleyball Classic. Um, the Jays beat Wyoming, South Dakota, and Wichita in straight sets, all three matches, some to varying degrees of, uh, let's see, I don't want to say competitiveness, that's kind of rude, but um, there's not really a better word that comes to mind at the moment. So um, two of the matches were not streamed at all, so there's really only one that we can break down from an, an analysis standpoint with, without shooting blind. Uh, good old people who just like to pinch pennies um, for volleyball. Let's see. Oh, I, we did hear um, the critiques from episode one. They want to hear less of me, more of Megan. I went back and <laughs> went back and listened to episode one. I think that the talk breakdown was 35 minutes of my voice, 18 minutes of Megan. So I'll try to bring that closer to balance. I apologize. Um, yeah, Megan, just shoot away with your uh, takeaways from the weekend as a whole so far. I know, obviously, two of the matches we weren't able to watch. Um, but what did you? What were your impressions of the Jays' overall performance? What stood out to you? Yeah, I thought overall, I mean, pretty dominant across all three matches. I mean, to sweep in a tournament, all of your matches is, I mean, the ideal situation from a coaching standpoint and just player standpoint of you know getting rest and. Um, being prepared as they jump into conference play um, this coming weekend. So, um, yeah, not being able to see the first two matches, I think you just kind of look at it from like a stat standpoint and kind of see the differences between the teams. And um, just, I mean, major highlight, I think serving was a really major highlight this weekend. Um, a couple of matches where they were just able to go on long runs um, and hadn't really seen that as much in some of the earlier matches. So, that was the thing that kind of um, carried throughout, I thought, most of their matches. So, Yeah, uh, starting with that Wyoming match, you mentioned the serving. That's a good jumping off point um, because you talked a little bit about that last week with regards to uh, when we were breaking down the Illinois match and how uh, Illinois had rallied from that huge deficit. And you're kind of thinking in, in your mind as you're trying to stop that thing, you're like, well, she'll miss a serve eventually. Like it's just, mm-hmm. just going to happen. Right. But Creighton kind of was on the good end of that this weekend, especially against Wyoming. I think in set one, um, Abby Bottomley grad transfer libero from high point uh, had five aces in a seven Oh serving run of her own, which is, <laughs> that's Crazy. kind of insane. Yeah. Like not only are you keeping the ball, in disrupting the other team's flow, but you're also just scoring points yourself. Um, so just starting with that one, I guess, what's what's that like? What's what's I don't know if you've ever played through that in high school or anything, but what's what's it like when your side is just acing the other team and there's really not much for you, most of the players on the court to do except go, okay, we're celebrating another point here. Yeah, I think the main thing is you have to, I mean, stay locked in because you have a good server back there and she goes on an 8-0 run. I mean, that's quite a few points to string together. So, um, and from that same point, I know like coaches will say like, you need to make them earn their way out. Like mm-hmm. you, you don't just want to miss a serve, right? From your standpoint, like you want to keep the pressure behind the line and actually make them earn it. You know, you don't want an unforced error and to disrupt your serving run if you're going on a nice long run to pull ahead. So mm-hmm. I think that's the main thing. And I'm sure the coaches were telling Abby that as she's going on that run, she's like, make them earn their way out, you know, make them do something um, to really score a point and let's just not give it up. Yeah. Anecdotally from Abby's point of view, I think it was one of the first or second practices of the year early, early on in the fall. Um, they were, you know, they obviously practice serving every day and getting tempo serves, making sure they're accurate. Uh, making sure they're in play, um, but disruptive at the same time, right? You know, you've been through those drills. And so Abby's got a really powerful jump serve. And that's not something that I think a lot of Creighton players in the past have had, if I'm not mistaken, right? You're normally, there's just, uh, there's tempo, there's, there's, you know, there's pace and everything, but I don't know if there's been a good, like, 
really powerful jump server at, at uh, that the Jays have had. So Abby, <clears throat> at one point, I don't remember the the speed of the ball, but it was like she hit a really hard jump serve, good good pace and everything. And Kirsten uh, actually stopped practice and made the team kind of watch her mechanics and everything, <laughs> how she did it. So it was, and I, and I remember when she landed it and, and uh, you know, the managers shouted out the, the, the number, the, the speed, the whole gym mm-hmm. was like, Whoa, you know, it was like a, it was a kind of a cool little moment there. So that's kind of something she's brought to the table a little bit. You know, I think uh, former Jay's assistant, Ryan Meek, he coached her at high point. Um, he says her jump serve is, is, you know, is nails. So I think maybe that's something that, um, you know, it kind of was on display against Wyoming there when you're dropping five aces in a, in a <laughs> right? Like that's hard to deal with. Yeah. That's impressive. And too, like for a shorter player too, mm. kind of just the trajectory of like hitting the ball. I mean, she's shorter, so she's not going to get on top of the ball as much maybe, but a lot of it is just like your hand contact really. And just like stopping your hand so that the ball floats and it has, has good trajectory and good speed as you contact the ball. So it is, it is cool to see. I don't think I've seen like a Libero that maybe has such a, like a strong serve, especially just the trajectory of where the ball has to go based on her mm-hmm. height. So it's cool. Yeah. And it's obviously really paying off. So that's awesome you, to see. You mentioned hand contact or kind of hand placement on the ball. Is there something you, from a serving standpoint that servers can do based on where they hit the ball? Is that, is that a thing? Yeah. I mean, want to hit the ball I mean basically you just want to have your hand as big as you can and contact it with a flat hand and almost stop your arm swing and that helps the ball float okay so like a knuckleball in like you know in baseball so mm. I mean that's kind of that's the goal when I mean most people are float serving um these days you don't really see as many people like jump top just yeah it's a lot easier to float and a little easier on your body but um, yeah, you want to get as much movement on the ball as you can. So it hopefully floats. And if you're hitting a seam, especially between people and that ball's floating, them having to make decisions just makes it a lot harder on the passers. For sure. Yeah. If you can get in between those backs. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, that was the kind of the run that broke open game one. I think it was five. Um, what was it? Five, four. Yeah. Five, four or five, five. And then Creighton got a kill to put Abby behind the line and then she served seven straight to make it 13 to 13 to five kind of broke it open a little bit. Um, game or game two kind of had a similar thing just with a different player. So, you know, I think from a, a team wide confidence standpoint and serving wise, that's probably a building block there because you went on another huge serving run, but it was a different player serving it. Um, that was uh, Keely Davis in set two is three, three. Uh, she goes back behind the line and pushes that run to 14 nothing with a 13-0 run of her own. She had three aces in that one. And the one thing that I get, think jumps off the box score to me, and again, that's kind of all we have to analyze here, um, I think the first five or so points were all unforced attack errors for Wyoming. Now, how do you feel about this? Because to me, that looks like you're getting this team out of the system if they're making unforced hitting errors, right? Is that, that's probably, is that unfair to think that, or I don't know? No, I think, I think it's fair to think that for sure. Um, You know, maybe not every single one was out of system, but I mean, maybe they had good looks and just didn't execute. Mm -hmm. Um, But from that standpoint, your block is probably set up well and it's challenging them. So, I mean, having them, you know, make an error is, is great for your side. And then hopefully you can continue to run behind the service line. And she and she had three aces during that run too, um, but I think you know you talked about how impressive it is for Illinois server last weekend uh, to go back behind the line and not miss you know for eight straight serves until you're getting match point, climbing out of that big deficit. For Keeley to nail thirteen in a row, drop three aces um, from what looks like you know a statistical standpoint was getting Wyoming out of system a lot. Um, how impressive is that from just a you know, a point to point perspective. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's super impressive. I mean, especially just mentally, if you've served that many points, you really have to like check in with yourself every single serve, you mm-hmm. know, you don't want to be just like throwing rockets over there, you know, and missing. Um, so to just putting good, consistent serves to get them out of system. And then also to pick up free aces in that run, I think is really impressive. And you just, you don't really see that very much. So, yeah. I mean, 
great for them. And it really gave them some space, you know, gave them some breathing room in the match, you know, to just hopefully forge ahead and, you know, keep on and win the set. I think, you know, I think Wyoming only called one time out during the whole run too. So they kind of, at some point that's settling into a, a little bit of like, all right, we kind of know this one, the rap pretty much. So, um, yeah. Keely too is, di- we talked about Abby's jump serve. Keely's another one who has a lot of, you know, tempo on her serves. Like those aren't, she's not just popping the ball over and like getting lucky with her, with her, where she's putting it. Right. Like she puts a lot of pace on it. Nah. Yeah. She, she has a lot of power behind her serve too. So I think it's impressive. Yeah. That, put those powerful serves in and you know get get some aces and get them out of system so it's really impressive it's a job well done by her for sure what does an ace feel like when you get one like what i i can't imagine servers are always trying to ace teams they're just trying like get someone out of system make sure they don't nail the pass is probably priority number one when you when you when you score from behind the line what does that feel like yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's a great feeling. Usually when you're going back there, you're trying to hit your, hit your spot, right? Cause the coaches yeah. are telling you seems to hit or go short or, you know, drive it deep at somebody's shoulder. So yeah, you're just trying to hit spots, but yeah, when you get rewarded with an ace, I think it's a great feeling and you really kind of get confidence to go back there again and mm. hit a really good serve. So. Gotcha. Um, moving on to the South Dakota match. This one was a little bit cleaner from an offensive standpoint for the Jays. Uh, they only hit um, 174 against Wyoming, but they did hold the Cow uh, Cowgirls to 016 hitting though. So um, again, the serving was massively disruptive there. Uh, when you look at South Dakota, this is kind of like the one thing that probably sticks out a little bit is Jayla Zimmerman and Nora Sis, um, 28 kills, only two errors on 69 swings. That that's really hard to beat if your pins are that um efficient right that is yeah those are crazy good numbers for pins especially you know outside hitters they're getting a lot of junk balls and out of system balls that they're just having to make you know good swings on so that's crazy and you you definitely don't see that every match and you know if your pins are swinging that well you're probably gonna win so sure and it looked like they probably got into a good rhythm early because if you look at the set disparity there um it looked like kendra kind of was feeding them a little bit more um than the middles and and the and the uh right side right yeah and I think yeah just set distribution in general I think she did get the middles involved like Naomi had 13 attempts Mm -hmm. and Kiana had 10 attempts so I think those are pretty good numbers for them just based on kind of what they've done so far this season and just getting the ball to the middle so it looks like some good distribution and um really good hitting percentages honestly for all the hitters yeah for sure then the Naomi I think you know the four kills on 13 swings in uh in one she gets 14 sets in in uh the Wyoming match um 14 or 13 sets against uh South Dakota and I think that was one thing that she marked a little bit somewhat tongue in cheek last weekend but also just because Naomi's really good um was getting the middles more involved what did you see or what do you see what jumps out to you when you see the the set distribution in terms of what might lead you to believe that Kendra's getting a little bit more rhythm with those middles in terms of connection and everything and timing? Yeah, I think, I mean, just overall, the hitting percentages, I mean, Kiana's hitting 500, Naomi hit 308. So I think those are good numbers. Um, Naomi probably would have liked to have a few more kills on those. I'm just telling her, but Mm. um, I mean, I just think it's good hitting percentages. And I mean, based on that, I would think they're in pretty good positions just to execute and get a kill. Um, so it tells me she's probably, you know, picking her times to find them, um, which is really helpful and will be helpful going forward. So if if a thousand is a delusional hitting percentage for a middle, what's a realistic, like ideal one? What what do you want in terms of not only um, sets, but termination rate for from the middle side for the middle attack, I guess? Um, I mean, I'd like to hit it probably or above like 350 as a middle, okay. um, especially based on Creighton really runs. I mean, they just pick their times to, to set their middles. Their middles maybe aren't taking as many swings. So from that standpoint, yeah, you'd probably like to be around 350. I mean, 400 if you're, you know, you're there and set up and getting some good looks. But So then the Wichita State match, fast forward to the final one on Saturday, 
Uh, Naomi, seven kills, one error on 17 on 17 swings. That's 353. So that's kind of right in that sweet spot of what you were just talking about, right? Yeah, and just being able to, like, actually see, you know, the set and the execution of it. Yeah. Um, uh, I liked when Kendra went to Naomi. I thought she picked good times um, to find her. And, like, at 21-20 in the first set, she went to Naomi on a one, and then she got Naomi at 22-20. So I think just building that confidence, I mean, she executes, and she's not afraid to go right back to her and kind of get her involved and keep her involved. So I really liked that from that standpoint. What's a good time to go to the one? What do you feel like? What's what's what does it either need to be communicated on Creighton's side of the net, or what does Kendra need to see to feel like that's a, a a you know a high percentage play to go to that? Um, I mean, obviously you have to be pretty well in system, and yeah. I mean it's it's nice if you have three hitters up, then your your block's pretty split, and then the left side um, for the opposing team has to take care of your right side. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're probably going to get a one-on-one in the middle, unless if they're really biting hard, like on Naomi, um, in the middle. But I think, I mean, in transition play, I don't think there's any, you know, better time if the ball's in system and you're transitioning, usually the blockers on the other side are released a little bit wider. I mean, they're just probably not getting back to base typically. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a great time, I think, to throw in a middle and surprise the block. And usually the defense isn't set up to defend a one if you're, if you run mm-hmm. it quick and well, so mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, Creighton's good at running that quick, too. Like, when they do go to it, it's usually – in the past, they've had good tempo on it, and it's usually been pretty automatic, right, when they get to that. There's not really much, from a hitter standpoint, creativity need because it's usually the donut's wide open, yeah? Yeah, and, I mean, your your middles are 6'4", six, 6'3", six, so, yeah. I mean, usually they're in a pretty good position if you set it high enough and they can swing high and they can either go off hands or, you know, put it down with some authority, but mm-hmm. – um, Wichita State's a team that I think in the past, if I'm just kind of trying to remember these matchups, because they you guys do play quite often, from an offensive standpoint, I think they they do some things that are I don't know if they're unconventional, but it's hard for like the you know a, a novice observer to pick up the nuances of it. But I do know that you guys talked about a lot how tricky they are to defend. Um, what is what does Wichita State do that is that does provide some um, some moments kind of where you always have to be atten- like aware of what's going on. Attention to detail is important as anything else. Yeah, I think you you hit it spot on. They do some things that are unconventional. Um, like they had a lefty that, I mean, would swing on the outside and a couple of rotations. So that's just a different look blocking wise. And mm-hmm. I mean, every team might not do that. It, it happens every once in a while, but not a ton. Um, there were a couple of times too, their setter, like, two hand dumped a ball like really short like over her shoulder which you just typically don't see Mm -hmm. there was another time that one of the outsides like two hand like tried to like slam the ball down the line just like things like that that you just you just don't really see much I think she missed on that but it was just like an interesting choice of something to do um yeah there were a few times where I was just like hmm like you just typically don't train that and don't see that much so it's like it just tries to catch the defense off guard from where they what they normally train right you're normally trained to see yeah it, see it like this yeah from like a defensive standpoint too yeah when they're just throwing like random balls over they just kind of chuck a ball down with like one hand just things that you i guess don't see every day it's just a little bit odd and you kind of have to adjust and expect the unexpected gotcha so sets one and two i think just knowing how kirsten thinks <laughs> I know she's happy that these that these two sets went down to the wire and that Creighton didn't just kind of dominate its way through a weekend, right? Now, normally, yeah. that, that sounds a little silly, right? Like, you want to just – if you can kick everyone's ass, that sounds like fun, right? But from a coaching standpoint, I think she liked set one and set two more than any other set this weekend because it showed her that, you know, who can, who can kind of rise to the occasion and – and put a ball down in a tough moment where there's not as much margin for error, don't you think? Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, you want to play tight sets. I know, like, um, set one, it was 24-24, and um, Kendra set Nora, and she just had a big swing. And I just – I love that she took a big rip at 24-24. Mm. Um, so I don't think they had been challenged really like that, you know, earlier in the weekend. So it's really nice to see, like, them going all out when it's tight and, you know – potentially the sets on the line yeah 
No, the, the young, I thought, I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, thing that I noted too, was the young players. It wasn't, it wasn't the veterans as much as the young players late. I think it was, you know, Nora had the big swing you mentioned at 24, 24. And I think Kendra and Kiana had the block to seal it. Um, set two, I think it was Nora and Jayla going back and forth to finish that one off. And they were down 21, 18 in that one. Correct. Is that what the, I think that's what the score was. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yep. I think so. Cause I think around their passing broke down, I think it was like 18, 18 and then yeah. passing broke down and Wichita went on a run there for a few yeah. points. So that was impressive to see them dig out of that. That was kind of similar to what set was it against Kentucky where it was 23, 23 Wildcats. Um, and the Jays rallied to win that one to put it away. They've got something like there's something about them in the end game where they don't, you know, I think Nebraska is really the only time where I've seen them kind of, you know, I'm trying to think of the word I would use here. Uh, just, you know, kind of get all internal, get messed up internally about it. They seem to be pretty resilient in, in end game so far this season, this whole season. I, mm-hmm. think, I think, you know, last night was another indication of what they're kind of, you know, what they're kind of made of. I know that's not quantifiable, but you know, some of that, some <laughs> of that intangible stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and yeah. And then game three, uh, game, you know, game two again was Nora Jayla and uh, <laughs> game three was, I, I thought game three was really good because you're coming out of intermission and you've played two really tight sets. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you can do a couple things with that 2-0 lead, right? Creighton can kind of rest in the laurels a little bit, feel comfortable, maybe not be as sharp. And Wichita is obviously coming out of the locker room with a little sense of desperation, right? What did set two, what did set three tell you in, 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 you know, both teams mindset, I guess that Creighton, came out like with the foot on the gas because they put a pretty big lead together and didn't really didn't really relinquish it yeah I think that's exactly what you want to see I mean from a coaching perspective I mean you always talk about I mean I've said it before but you always talk about like if you beat a team I mean first and second sets and they were close too I mean they Mm -hmm. really could have gone either way um, but you just don't know how a team is going to show up in the third set. Like, are they going to be firing on all cylinders, just really determined to, you know, get a set and Wichita's playing at home yep. um, and you don't want to lose at home. So, I mean, you just never know. So to jump out and have a good start is really important for that third set. Yeah. What, what do you, as like, as players, when you're trying to just get your, get on the same page before game three like that, what are some of the things as if you're in a leadership position, which you've been in, you know, um, at the later stage of your careers, uh, what's, what are you going over there? Like, what's the, all right, we're coming out here after Kirsten's already said what she needs to say. And, you know, you've already talked to Angie, like, what are you telling the team in terms of what's important for these early points in game three? I think the main thing is just to play clean. I mean, especially from a servant pass standpoint, if that breaks down, I mean, everything else seems to tank. Um, so just serve and pass really well. And I mean, they had been doing that in the first two sets. So you just, you can't let that drop off at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and just putting pressure on the other team to score um, just for them to side out against you is, I mean, what you need to do, you just really need to hit good serves and pass really well so you can run your offense. Gotcha. Um, yeah, we you made fun of me last week because it's boring. Old Jayla Zimmerman MVP of another, <laughs> another tournament, right? Third straight weekend, she was the MVP yeah. at the Bluegrass Battle in Lexington, the Blue Jay Invite in Omaha, Shocker Classic in Wichita. So she's kind of like doing a world tour here a little bit, you know, just <laughs> rolling around from city to city, winning MVPs and going home, getting ice cream yep. and then going home. Sorry, I forgot that. Heck yeah. Um, man, she's been amazing though, right? Like. You know, 17, yeah. kills, 17 kills against the Shockers, 13 digs, um, double-double against South Dakota. In only three in only three sets, too, like 16 kills, 16 digs in three sets. That's that's insane. And you're hitting four. That's impressive, yeah. 400 as an outside. I mean, what's, what's working for Jayla right now? I mean, it seems like everything's working. I'm just looking at uh, the Wichita State. She had four aces, too. Yeah. Um, in that, in that set or in that match. Um, yeah, I mean, just everything's working. I think she, she's just such a smart player that she really, she picks her shots well. And I think 
I don't think I've ever seen anyone hit high hands better than her. Really? Um, from that pin. I mean, you'll you'll see she doesn't always have the flashiest kills. Mm. Um, but she's hitting high hands, getting kills, she's hitting angle. I mean, deep angle, line, roll shots from the back row. Um, I just think it's really impressive and she just does a lot of things that her team needs her to do. And I mean, she just she's a key cog for them for sure. When I think Kirsten actually mentioned that last night was she felt like Jayla's serving through, you know, the first four weeks or so wasn't maybe um, as good as it's been for Jayla, Jayla like, I guess, if you will, to be to <laughs> use her own standards in an unfair way against her. Um, yeah. But she felt like this weekend she had she was like she was nails from the service line. And I think that's highlighted by the four aces you mentioned against Wichita. So. Is it just a thing where she's just got so many ways to make an impact, and then when it all comes together, that's when you that's when you see something special? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's really special to have a player, yeah, that is just successful in so many different aspects of the game. Um, but, yeah, you see it all come together. And, I mean, like you said, you were getting bored with her. I mean, it's, it's the expectation, right? I mean, yeah. she's been this way for, you know, the last – Last year, this year especially, it's, I mean, you just come to expect what she does and you don't even see it, I guess. You look at the stats and you're like, oh, wow, like she she impacted the game in so many different ways. But as you're watching it, I mean, maybe you don't take notice every time. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's that's what great players do. They, you know, are consistent. And she really showed she was consistent, I mean, in all of these matches. So, I thought awesome. she. I think she's missing a Big East Player of the Year award too. By the way, we can that may be for another <laughs> day. But I thought last year she was the best player in the league, and it's not it's not one of those things where one area is like super flashy. But I caught myself at some point last year going like kind of across the board. I'm like, all right, here's the leaders in this category. There's Jayla. There's the leaders in this category. There's Jayla. It's like I just got myself through every kind of area, and it's like, oh well, Jayla's in at the top of the league in most categories, you don't think you'll find one player. Mm-hmm. In. It's like, why is she not the best player in the league? But anyway, um, <laughs> I get caught up in arguing with people about that this weekend. She did um, move into 23rd all time in kills, which I think is kind of impressive for her considering when she got here, it was still kind of the Jalen, Jaylee and Taryn show on the pin. So she kind of had to bite her time a little bit to get, you know, to get some run on the, on the pins um, behind some all-time greats. So the fact that she's making her way up the charts here with this late, with this late career barrage of hers is probably the funniest part of how, like how quickly I've already gotten used to her um, (laughs) being excellent. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Naomi also moving up the charts a little bit past you, uh, past you and Marissa Wilkinson recently on the block charts. Oh. Yeah, so I think you like seeing your name on the charts, but not when people are knocking you down. So, but yeah, yeah, Naomi's, I don't know. Naomi's at three hundred seventy-five block assists now. She's uh, sixth all time. She's five away from fourth, um, and she's ninth all time in overall blocks. So they're putting together <clears throat> the finishing touches on their um, what their careers are going to look like in the box score a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I think, and I think blocking too, I guess we haven't talked too much about blocking, but mm-hmm. I think in all these matches, they outblocked all their opponents. And I think yeah. they've been doing that. I mean, consistently the past couple tournaments too. So, I mean, Naomi's a huge part of that and you see that in her stats, but as a team too, I think the blocking performance has just been um, really good for them. And I'm sure, you know, the coaching staff's happy with that. Yeah. That maybe brings something else up here. I'm going to pull it up real quick, but they've, uh, They've held <clears throat> everybody, I think, except for USC, under 200. Let me double-check this real quick. Yeah. Yeah. USC is the only team to hit over 200 against the Jays. So, that USC hit 247 in that five-setter. Um, so, you have 045, 157, 064, 197, 073, 177, 081, 135 and these last four is kind of ridiculous it's 059 016 084 150 i mean and creighton is historically creighton historically has really good offensive parity i mean especially these last what six seven years um mm-hmm. 
if you're hitting sub 200, you're not really giving yourself an opportunity, right? Against what's Creighton doing well to keep these hitting numbers so low. That's not usually something you see for this many matches in a row in terms of what Creighton's able to disrupt from the other team's perspective, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not super typical, especially blocking-wise. You know, sometimes you can – it kind of goes – I mean, as the team goes, it can really, like, go in waves. I mean, there can be really good blocking nights where you just block a ton and then other nights where you're maybe getting good touches but really not getting, like, ace blocks as much. Um, yeah, so I don't know, I guess, the secret sauce for the, the blocking. I think they're in good positions. Um, just what I've been able to watch in person um, and over, you know, streamed. But um, they're in good positions. And, I mean, yeah, you have Naomi, who's – it's her fifth year, so she knows the blocking schemes um, and what to do um, and is a really good blocker. Um, and then you have other good – I mean, you have middles. They've kind of been rotating through who's been playing that other middle position. But, I mean, um, you have great height, and I think people that move well and, I mean, make it tough for the other team to hit around them. And this is with without Kiara Reinhardt, too, who's going to be out yep. maybe the whole season, most of the season. Um, she was really coming on at the end of last spring. Um, so the fact that they're blocking this well and setting up this well without her, I mean, it could be – these hitting numbers could be even lower. It's kind of funny to think that. But you, I think, you know, you mentioned Naomi and Jayla just kind of having a no – a know-how about it you know they just understand where to be and when to be there you know mm-hmm. that the end of game three against wyoming which was kind of the only really competitive set um the 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 breaker happened kind of in the middle there where it went it went Jalen naomi kill kill and then both of them teamed up on the next two blocks back-to-back points that little 4-0 run gave creighton their cushion for set three you know, that was really the only mm-hmm. the only time anybody went on a big run to separate really was that. So, it, you know, I know we didn't see that, but is that kind of evidence of what you're talking about in terms of Jayla and Naomi just knowing where to be and when to be there on time? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, they're both very experienced at this point in their careers. So they've done it, you know, hundreds and thousands of times they've, you know, done their blocking footwork. They've, you know, swung that ball. So Um, they're just super experienced and I mean, you can't teach experience, right? So it's just valuable to have them and they've seen a lot of different things from different teams and they know what to do out there. And, um, you know, without really questioning it, they can, they can help other players too. I mean, that are younger and teach them the ropes. So it's awesome to see. And I'm really glad they're having success. Yeah. So that, that wraps up the non-conference portion of the schedule. The Jays are 12 and one and, that's just a staggering number because usually the big East is when they kind of run up the winning percentage. Like that's just historically what it's been to go 12 and one into conference play. What do you think the team's feeling right now? Um, I mean, I, you've got to feel confident. I mean, it's, they've shown that they can be successful and I mean, honestly, really dominant. They, yeah. I mean, the amount of matches that they've swept, I think 36, other they've won 36 of 39 sets this weekend on the, on the weekend tournaments. They've only lost three weekend sets. That's it. Just, yeah. And that's just, I mean, unheard of. Like, I mean, I don't think we ever did that when I was there. That's crazy. So, I mean, just, I mean, great for them. Great for for them from a rest standpoint, too. I mean, you're Mm -hmm. not going into extra sets and you're playing tournaments. And so from the rest standpoint, that's great. From a confidence standpoint, I think it's great, too. And, I mean, they got pushed in some of their sets this weekend um you know but never had to extend the match so i think that'll help them too but yeah it'll be interesting to see um now that they go just uh, two matches on different days so does big east play does it feel zero zero when you jump into conference play at all how does it how does it feel as a player when you get out of the non-conference side of it and you jump into what feels like more familiar territory right you know them better but they know you better at the same time yeah yeah you definitely you get into a routine and Especially it's like, you know what to expect come travel wise and I mean, the arenas and everything like that. Um, But you talk about it being like almost the second part of season. So it's like a new season. Mm. Um, You'll talk about, you know, preseason, season one, conference, season two, and then season three is really like NCAA tournament time. So this is the second chunk of season and it's really, it's a new season. So, I mean, no matter how many wins you have, it's 
you start over, you really are at zero, zero and you want to win a big East championship. So, I mean, you better be competitive and be ready to go every night. Yeah. So here's one thing that's jumping out to me when I look at this first slate so far and then add it to what's already been done. They're going to play, um, what are they at 13 now? They're going to play 15 of the first 21 matches kind of away from Omaha. And if you even want to count the Nebraska matches a neutral, it's, it's 16 out of 21, honestly, like, uh, mm-hmm. is this just like a, an affinity for ice cream that we're not, they don't know what I was talking about <laughs> or, or how tough is that to navigate a slate like that where you're not sleeping in your own bed most weekends, right? Like that's not normal. Is it? It is. Yeah. A little odd. Um, but I guess you just get used to it. Um, you know, you cherish the times where you're at home, but yeah. It's fun to travel too at the same time. I mean, you're just with your team and you kind of just get into your routine. So mm-hmm. I think it probably depends on the person, like if they enjoy the traveling or not. I enjoyed traveling and just you get to hang out with your teammates, you know, like 24-7. So I think from that aspect, it's really fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll see how they do here in Big East play. But I mean, they should be familiar with the cities and gyms and Everything like that, places to eat, even hotels. I mean, usually a lot of it's the same from prior years. Yeah, I think I do remember you mentioning as a player that you enjoyed the road trips, that you felt Mm -hmm. like, and and not only from an you know just an out like enjoyment outside the volleyball um, side of it, but you thought you played better on the road. Was there a reason for that? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if we, I guess, I think in NCAA tournament time, I felt like when I was there, at least we maybe played a little better on the road. Um, but in conference too, I mean, I think, I just think it's fun to be on the road. I mean, you just do, you do fun things. I mean, you're not in school, so that's a little bit different. So you'll go study with your teammates or check out a coffee shop or, you know, just do like random things that girls like doing, like we'll just go shopping or like find a fun spot or go sightseeing. So mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. And I like traveling in general. So probably depends on the person, but I just think it's fun to hang out with your teammates. And um, usually you share a room with a teammate too. And that's just fun to connect with people. Mm-hmm. I mean, this team seems to like it so far. They're 12 and one. It's their best non-conference in program history. So they don't seem to be bothered by only having the three, three home matches plus the Nebraska match. So um, they're starting with Butler and Xavier. Now this one's kind of an interesting trip too, because I think this one's always one that's more, I think everybody from the outside looking in would be like Marquette's the team to, to beat every year in the, or not to the team to beat, Creighton's the team to beat, but Marquette's the team that's going to challenge Creighton the most, right? From just a talent standpoint um, and how good those matches usually are. You know, and then usually there's like a maybe a St. John's here and there or a Villanova will be tough. Um, maybe some years early on it was Seton Hall. Xavier and Butler, I feel like, is a tough road trip, though. I feel like it's always been a tough road trip. Like Butler, you guys have gone five with them a lot, um, especially at Hinkle. Uh, and then Xavier last year in the match that Creighton needed to win to clinch their kind of spot in the Big East tournament, that one went five when Xavier was mm-hmm. – when Xavier had something to play for and Creighton had something to play for, that one went five last spring. So this this isn't like one of these – I think people will just assume that Creighton's got to go like 18-0, 17-1, 16-2 to preserve their hosting um, chances in Big East play. And I don't, I don't disagree with that because you just look at RPI and there's not a whole lot of like boosters left. Mm-hmm. But in terms of how difficult this thing can be to start, I feel like Xavier and Butler is a pretty tough – launching pad don't you think in terms of just comparing it to the rest of the league yeah I think Butler is always very very tough um to play at home I just think they always play way better at Hinkle um like you said we we went five I mean multiple times with them um when I was there when we were playing them at Hinkle they just something about it they just seem to play better at home damn field house Um, man I don't know what it is about that place yeah (laughs) yeah it's something about it I guess the Hinkle magic or whatever um but yeah so I just always think they play way better at home um so it'll it's always interesting to go there I mean you can't overlook it for sure yeah they've actually had four 20 win seasons since the formation of this iteration of the Big East like What's Butler doing well that maybe isn't getting a whole lot of notoriety 
Um, I think they're statistically usually a, a good blocking team, mm-hmm. um, too. So they make it tough on um, from an offensive standpoint on their opponents. Um, and then I think they run their middles really quick, um, which can disrupt a lot of teams because you don't typically see middles. I mean, really getting pumped balls that that much and that quickly. So it's hard to defend. Mm. Um, and then they also do a, like a few things that are unconventional. They'll throw the ball a lot. Um, yeah. which you don't see as much and you don't train and usually your opponents, you know, aren't, aren't doing that. Um, so I think we always used to talk about that too. When I was there that they just like throw the ball and um, a little bit and just do a few things that were unconventional. Um, so you just had to be prepared for it. Uh, Xavier's uh, Butler six and seven on the year. Xavier's five and five, but Xavier beat Lipscomb in five sets. Lipscomb's always, I don't know how they are this year, but traditionally they're a tough, a tough uh, program. Um, I think, Xavier played Colorado tight. Colorado's pretty good. Um, and obviously we talked about that uh, Xavier went five with CU in Omaha last year in the match that both teams were kind of locked in for. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but Xavier is another team that offensively is tough to deal with. Like you have to be locked into scout to figure out what they're going to do to you, right? Yeah, you do. And they um, they do a few other things with their middles too. Um, their middles will run a lot of like one-footed stuff so like a 31 which is basically it's between the middle and the outside and you run it quick in that like gap okay so they do that a lot and you'll see them like slide off the court almost and then they'll come run in on one foot and hit it quick almost like to disappear and then reappear and hit the ball to surprise you yeah um so they do that and they do the same thing with ones at times well they'll back up and just run almost along the net and then hit a quick one in the middle off of one foot um, so things like that, you really have to pay attention um, and scout and your blockers have to be able to see where their hitters are and um, just see where they need to help um, on the block. So I don't think that'll be an issue for Creighton because they train it well. And, mm. um, you know, you know what to expect once you go through scout and get some practice with it. But that is something they do. That's a little bit unconventional. Um, yeah. So that's the main thing that sticks out to me. And then usually their outsides are, are pretty good and taking rips and they're they're pumping a, quite a few balls out to the outside typically gotcha um on so on creating side of the net what's what's the key to this road trip i mean is it does it boil down to being as simple as possible and just saying you know serve and pass give yourself an opportunity to be in system as much as possible i think that's always where you start um yeah. i mean serve and pass is as many times as you can say, we just need to serve and pass. It's, it's really true. I mean, you have to serve and pass well if you want to win. Um, and then from a defensive standpoint, I think just extending plays and getting blocks, getting good block touches, and they've done a good job of that, um, this season so far. And then, um, that just turns into really good offense. I think in that that'll give Kendra really good options for who to set and get everybody involved and have that parity that Creighton's known for. Yeah, that's the one thing we don't talk enough about, I think, just in general, is the digging. Yeah, because I think you just kind of assume, you know, that your backs are back there to read and react to whatever they can. And it's kind of like a volatile little thing where it can you can be in position and still kind of shank the pass. Um, But I I think uh, Creighton seems like they've got a pretty salty group back there in terms of what they can handle in terms of their variety of shots coming at them. Right. I mean, even when you look at the Nebraska match, I felt like when you look at uh, why that thing went sideways, I don't think it was necessarily a thing where Nebraska, because that's probably the hardest hitting team outside of Kentucky that Creighton's faced. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But Creighton held them to 177 hitting still. So it's not like, it's not like uh, they were overwhelmed you know, in that regard, I think it was just Nebraska was better defensively than Creighton was. It's not that Creighton was bad defensively. So what do you, what have you seen so far? If you try to put all the matches you've put, you've, you've observed together here so far in terms of how Creighton is performing um, when teams do get through the block. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think they've done well. And I think even if they don't get a block, um, they're in really good positions and that allows their defense to adjust behind them and just kind of see where the ball's coming. Um, and then two, like getting block touches, that's always something. If you don't get a block, you want to get touches on the ball. It just, it slows it down um, mm. for your defense behind. It just makes it way easier for them to dig and dig in system, um, which is something that you want to do and want to be good at to get your middles involved. And then 
I mean, if they're digging in system and they have a back row option, a right side, a middle and a left side, yeah. there's not many teams that are going to stop you when you have that many options. And I mean, Kendra really just, you know, can pick whoever she wants yeah. um, and hit them in system and, and in stride to get a kill. So I think, I mean, defense just is essential, obviously, but um, really like, I guess fans probably don't like they get a dig, but I think for that defense, I mean, they want to get that dig on the net. Like it's yeah, not good yeah. enough. If, if the, you know, if the ball's not coming that hard, like we want to get it in system. And that's something that maybe does maybe everyone doesn't notice, um, <laughs> but you really just want to be like in system as much as you can, even when you're playing defense. Does it help dig transition that Kendra or that, not Kendra, but uh, Nora and Jayla are really good off the net. Like, you know, mostly, you like you said, you want the ball as close to the net, you know, without being too tight, but you want Kendra to be pretty close to that, to, in front of that 10-foot line, right? But Nora and Jayla have proven that they can terminate, you know, in a variety of ways off the net still, right? I think Kendra or Nora hit a couple late off the net um, against Wichita last night. Like, does, does that add to how potent dig transition is for Creighton? when you have two pins that can terminate off the net like that? Yeah, 100%. Especially you'll see it, like you'll see the opposing team's middle blocker. I mean, it's really hard as a middle blocker to choose, right? If you have a good back row attack, you don't want to leave. You want to, they're going to have to sit in the middle and wait and see if it goes to the back row. And if it goes to the outside, they're probably going to be trailing late and the block's not going to be completely close to the pins. Mm -hmm. So from that standpoint, you're giving a lot of people good looks and potentially one-on-ones um, if they're there and they're ready to hit that back row attack. Gotcha. All right, last question for you today um, before we wrap this up, before we wrap up the wrap-up, um, is – the mentality of going through the big East. So it always seems like it's a lose, lose venture for Creighton, right? They want to stay healthy. They want to get better, but there's not going to be a whole lot of teams that are going to get the juices flowing on paper. Maybe that's a different mindset in the locker room, but on paper, it seems like this is where Creighton starts to walk through the minefield, right? There's not as many RPI boosters, it's a long slate, right? It takes about a couple months to get through it. And then you get to NCAA tournament play and you get to get, get the juices flowing again. How does a player navigate this part of it when you're the prohibitive favorite every year running now for what, seven, eight years? Like, how do you deal with that? The target's on your back every night. The pressure's all on you to not kind of, you know, crumble to it. Like, how do you deal with that as a player? Yeah, I think, I guess, I mean, you probably don't think about that as much. I I didn't really think about it too much. Um, really? But no, not really. I mean, I, a lot of it is like historically, I think you look at, I mean, you just look at matchups. Like, I mean, there were times when I played there, like my last year we lost to St. John's in the yeah. Big East tournament. Yeah. I mean, so if you're playing them, like, I mean, I'd be fired up to, to play them because I remember losing to them. Mm -hmm. Um. Marquette is just it's always a competitive match and they're kind of the rival for Creighton so yeah I mean you want to win and that's a pretty easy easy one to get up for um and then there's other teams like Georgetown I remember when I was there we went five and ended mm -hmm. up winning like 15 13 in the fifth set I mean we're really challenged honestly and almost got beat um so there's times like that and then Villanova too is another one that just Creighton and Villanova always seem to go at it, no matter um, where the match is being played at. And so oh. that's that's another easy one to get up for. And then, I mean, you just have to take care of – I mean, some of the other teams maybe you don't have as much history with or, I mean, some of the players, too, that are younger maybe you don't remember or weren't part of some of those losses or wins. Um, but I think, I mean, you just have to be prepared. And, I mean, Kirsten and the whole coaching staff, they really – I mean, they tell you one match at a time and you'll hear it over and over and over again from Kirsten. But it really is one match at a time. And like, you need to take care of the match here and now. And we won't think about yesterday. We won't think about tomorrow. So gotcha. um, from that standpoint, you just, you got to be prepared. And at the end of the day, you want to win the biggest championship. So, I mean, what's not to love about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you've done it so much. I imagine you love it quite a bit. Um, is, it, is, is a big part of it focusing on just your side of things like if 
you know, I don't know. If you like, here's areas from this 13 match slate so far that we feel like um, we could be better at. Let's get in the gym, work on that, and then execute it. You know, regardless of there's obviously a scouting perspective of it, so there's going to be that element to it no matter what. But when you're focused on trying to improve in certain areas of your own game, so that when you when you do get through conference play and you get to tournament play, you're kind of at your best, right? As a team, um, how much of that goes into the week to week of getting through this grind of conference play? If you focus on your side of things, if you focus on just trying to get better at, at, you know, in gradual stages as you guys go through to the end of November. Yeah, I think I I would say like probably 85% of like what your mindset is, is, is probably on your side. I mean, honestly, you want to serve and pass well, you want to run your offense, you want to block well. And a lot of the things that you're working on to get better at will apply to most teams. I mean, I would say, obviously you do the scout and you learn about other teams' tendencies and where they tend to go. But I mean, in the back of your head, I mean, you can, you can hang on to those and be prepared, obviously. But I mean, at the end of the day, what you're doing on your side is probably going to help you win um, and put you in a really good position. Yeah. So the first four matches for bit for Creighton in the big East will be at Butler at Xavier at St. John's at Satan at Seton Hall. Those will both weekends will be Friday, Saturday matches. Um, and like Megan said, those are all four teams that have um, pushed Creighton. And he, I mean, I, mean the, the, I think Creighton has played all four of those teams at some point in the Big East tournament, and that's only a four-team bracket. So you know those are two, those are the those are four programs that have had opportunities um, to be, you know, NCAA tournament teams, get at-large uh, bursts and whatnot. St. John's obviously won the automatic bid Megan senior year. So she, um, they're kind of the team that's up right now of that four grouping, but you know, Butler's got 20 win seasons, Xavier's coming up. Um, so that'll be a challenging first couple weeks. And then I think the Marquette week is something that's easy to get up for because it's Marquette, right? So you have DePaul Marquette that'll be at home. I don't think Creighton will lack for motivation, um, when they get back home to Omaha finally, but that first four, We'll present some interesting challenges. Um, Megan, as always, I do appreciate your time and your insight. Hopefully we balanced out the the uh, breakdown between my voice and your voice. <laughs> yeah, let us know, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I have all these podcasts. And I want to hear you talk less. I'm like, I feel like I shouldn't have as many podcasts then maybe. But, yeah, um, no kidding. Yeah, we'll work on that. Um, yeah, so everybody, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate your, your time. Uh, we'll get to questions eventually somewhere along the road as we get kind of more into a rhythm with this thing. But there was a lot to break down from non-conference with three matches uh, to pop off. So, um, yeah, Megan, everybody, we'll talk to you guys all next week. This has been your Creighton Volleyball uh, wrap-up show. I'm Matt DeMarinas. She's Megan Ballinger. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. <laughs>